Welcome to the Horses Equine Innovators Podcast, sponsored by Zoetis. I'm your host, Stephanie Church, Editor-in-Chief of The Horse. Every day, researchers at universities and other institutions around the world are investigating new ways to care for and understand our horses in the horse industry. In this podcast series, we talk to those innovators to learn more about their work. So right now, it's springtime in the Northern Hemisphere, and many people are transporting their horses more frequently, whether to trail ride or compete. We know that long distance travel stresses our bodies and our horses, but what about the shorter trips to a nearby trailhead or to a show venue just a few hours away? Today, we're gonna talk about some exciting research involving how horses of all ages respond to travel. Our guests for this episode are Dr. Amanda Adams and Erica Jackway of the University of Kentucky. Dr. Adams is an associate professor at the university's Gluck Equine Research Center, an adjunct faculty member at Lincoln Memorial University College of Veterinary Medicine, and been honored as a Mars Equestrian Fellow specializing in the care of senior horses. Erica is a PhD student working under Dr. Adams, and she's the first Mars Equestrian Scholar in the Department of Veterinary Science. Welcome, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be joining you today. Thanks for the the opportunity to be able to share some of our research with the industry. Always important to us. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about this conversation. I think it's gonna be uh, an interesting one for our listeners. So how did you each end up in your current roles doing the research that you do? Why don't we start with you, Dr. Adams? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a lifelong horsewoman, um, born and raised on a on a farm in northwest Missouri, um, grew up with quarter horses, and I, I was on the path to, to go to vet school, and um, I was diverted from, from that path and fell in love with and very interested in equine research um, after spending a couple of, of summers and doing internships with Beringer Ingelheim Vet Medica and developing vaccines for horses. And I really, I guess you can say, got the research bug. Um, so then I went on, um, joined University of Kentucky here at the Gluck Center to do my PhD a number of years ago in immunology and then was offered a Paul Mellon uh, postdoc position at Gluck. Um, succeeded through the ranks as assistant research professor and then assistant professor and now associate professor. And so very passionate, always have been um, uh, of the horse and of research. And so I've developed a research program that is um, really anchored by the study of equine immunology, endocrinology, and nutrition in the areas of aging, obesity, and the study of endocrine diseases and laminitis, and then stress. What impact does stress have on these mm-hmm. responses? So, sounds like a very interesting role. We stay busy, that's for yes, sure. <laughs> I am sure. What about you, Erica? I grew up in Northern Virginia doing pony club and competing at eventing. And I uh, went to Virginia Tech to get my bachelor's in animal science, which is where I first kind of got involved in research, doing some undergraduate research projects out at the Mayor Center in Middleburg, Virginia. And then decided to continue on and get my master's in animal science from Kansas State University with a specialty in equine reductive physiology. 
and then took a few years to work in the industry and then ended up finding my way back to research when I was working at a sport horse breeding farm in Lexington, Kentucky, which is how I got connected with Dr. Adams. And she invited me to join her lab and continue on with my education and get a PhD. All roads lead to Lexington, it seems. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So what do you enjoy most about your work? So first and foremost, um, you know, my role as a faculty member, I'm I'm probably most passionate about, you know, training the next generation of scientists. Um, so that that's that's really my my number one um, passion. But I guess probably almost a. I'd say second, if not, um, you know, up there at the top as well is obviously, you know, very passionate about about the horse and how we can continue to improve the health and well-being, in particular of the aged horse population, which is um, what I study. And so, you know, my research program, we do applied science. So we have a lot of applied science. So we have a really um, direct impact on horse health. Um, so I'm, I really, really enjoy seeing the outcome of what we do having impacts, um, you know, on, on the horse's life. That's really powerful. How about you, Erica? Uh, similar to what Dr. Adams said, that's kind of what drew me to her lab is that not only do we get to do this, you know, really cutting edge science, but we also have, um, we get to work directly with the horse and a lot of the things that we do can translate directly to horse owners and the general population. Tell me about the herd of horses that you study, Dr. Adams. Yeah, so I've established and, and support a herd of, of aged horses at our beautiful Woodford County um, University of Kentucky farm. Um, and in this herd, we have about um, around 60 head of horses and about 40 of those horses are all over the age of 20. And within the aged horse herd, we have um, differences in endocrine status of these horses. So we have aged horses that we consider sort of normal, healthy aged horses and aged horses that have equine Cushing's disease or PPID. And then we have aged horses that also have PPID and insulin dysregulation. And then um, as a part of this aged horse herd at, um, at UK, we also have a, a smaller herd, I guess you can say, of insulin dysregulated equine metabolic syndrome horses that we support and um, do quite a bit of work with as well. And so mm -hmm. we're pretty excited that we've officially kind of established our facility out at our Woodford County Farm and um, we kind of have named it the UK Aged Horse Research Center. So it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I think our oldest um, our average age, I think, of the herd is pushing around 25 years of age. We oh, have wow. a we have a couple of 32 year olds, um, mm -hmm. a couple of quarter horses that are 32, and a couple actually thoroughbreds. Um, so they live out their lives with us, um, and they live a pretty darn good life. And um, you know, we're we are pretty excited. You know, it's a it, it's a really unique herd. Um, there's no herd like it in the world. Um, so I feel very fortunate that we have the opportunity to to have this herd where we can, you know, ask a lot of questions that'll then in turn help the aged horse population across the world. So I imagine they've become a bit like family then too. Absolutely. Yes, we get quite connected and uh, to some of them. So yeah.
they're, they live a very spoiled life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's great. So uh, today we're talking about equine transport research. So how did you guys arrive at this topic? Yeah, so my lab has always been interested in understanding the effects of stress on immune responses in horses. And one of the most stressful periods um, in a horse's life is really during the weaning period, so when the foal is taken away from the mare. And so mm -hmm. we've done a little, quite a bit of work in, in that area and showing that, you know, um, the immune system changes during the time of weaning. And so we, we published some of that work and we've kind of moved away from that. And so I was really interested in understanding, okay, what's sort of the next probably stressful event in a horse's life or to, to study, you know, what's another model that we can use to study stress and the impacts on immune function in horses. And that's where we ended up with um, the study of equine transportation on, um, stress responses and changes in immune response in horses. And so that's kind of how we ended up here and all. And really, um, it, we kind of took advantage of moving the aged horse herd from our kind of one of our other um, farms at the University of Kentucky from our North Farm to our Woodford County Farm. And that happened um, a couple of years ago. And I thought, you know, let's have a look. Let's just see what happens if we just move these horses just a very short distance. So they were on the trailer for only an hour and a half. And we collected samples, you know, prior to them getting on the trailer and then after them um, getting off the trailer. And we were pretty surprised to see that we did see pretty significant changes in stress responses and measuring stress hormones, so like cortisol, after trailering, and it happened quite quickly. So within 15 minutes, you know, of the, the horses getting off the trailer, we saw a significant increase in these cortisol stress hormone levels. And then we saw changes in immune function. Um, and so that sort of pilot, I guess you can say, study led us kind of down another road to conduct a, a larger study and where in which we transported horses again from from each of our farms, so a short distance of about an hour and a half. But we transported the horses back to their home farm. So, you know, they were going back to the same location that they were used mm -hmm. to living so that we kind of took that stress component out of the picture and really wanted to focus on, OK, what happens if you just take them away from the farm for about an hour and a half on the trailer and you take them back to their home farm? And so we essentially kind of repeated the study and we found the same results. We found a significant increase in these stress hormones. Um, you know, about 15 minutes um, up to a two-hour window uh, after transporting these horses and significant changes in immune um, function in these horses within, again, that two-hour window after these horses were transported. So, yeah, that's how we really interesting. kind of um, s sort of got into this whole area of, of research and looking at the effects of transport um, on on horse health. It's very practical study design, it sounds like. Yeah. So, Erica, how did the next study unfold based on this previous research? So the past studies, um, we're mainly just using older horses, because that's, again, the horses we have in our specialty herd. But we wanted to see, OK, what's actually happening in younger horses? Is this just a response because they're older, they're having these responses? Or is this a response that we're going to see across all horses? So the next study we looked at used 
younger horses and older horses. And we took measurements before and after transporting them, again, about an hour and a half. And we saw very similar stress or cortisol responses in both the young and the older horses with that kind of peak at that 15 minutes after and then slowly kind of returning back to normal. And then we also saw some differences in immune response having to do with age, but not necessarily having to do with transportation, which is kind of in agreement with some of our previous research looking at immune response in older horses, that they tend to have this phenomenon called inflammaging or just kind of a, a heightened inf inflammation state just due to age. And I'll make sure that in the show notes, I include a link to an article that talks about inflammaging because I feel like we have a few of those in our archives at thehorse.com. So those additional measurements that you took in this study, how did you gather them? So for this study, we also wanted to add a lot of non-invasive monitoring techniques of stress. So we looked at uh, heart rate. So we used heart rate monitors that would continuously record both before, during, and after transportation. And then we also used uh, these tail tab thermometers, so temperature sensors that go under the tail to mon monitor body temp, again, continuously recording. And then um, something that we're really excited about for future projects was doing um, saliva collections to look at salivary cortisol and possibly some other things down the line. And uh, these research horses were a bit younger than the herd. So tell me about who they were and um, what their experiences have been prior to the study. Sure. So the, the younger horses that we were using had all been on previous research projects before. Their average age was about two years old, and they'd all previously been transported on the trailer to move around to different locations around our farm. And um, they were all, all had experienced trailering before and were all very easy and willing loaders and all handled the actual trip of trailering very well. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a group of good citizens. And so where are we with those study results? And have you finished combing through that data, Dr. Adams? Yeah, so the the earlier study that I talked about that where we just transported the aged horses, we've actually just published that work um, last year. And so we can also share the link to that study, mm -hmm. you know, just looking at the effects of transport stress on all these just different physiological changes um, that occur with with transporting um, senior horses. But the work uh, as part of Erica's dissertation, you know, transporting the younger horses at the same time we're transporting the aged horses to really ask the question is whether or not it's, you know, it's an age phenomenon or or if it's just a it's just an effect of transportation, no matter regardless the age of the horse or type of horse. And so we are currently wrapping that study up and we hope to get that published and, and, and shared with everybody later this year. Um, so we've We've shown, you know, um, we've we've wrapped up sort of the stress hormone measurements and again shown changes in these um, stress hormones post-transportation. And we've wrapped up quite a bit of the uh, looking at the changes in immune function, but we're we're looking at now what happens in whole blood um, samples at the gene expression level. So that's 
we're kind of wrapping up some of that um, molecular, I guess, biology work and, and looking at cytokine gene expression and whole blood as well at the cellular level. So that, that'll kind of give us a better um, idea of also what's going on with changes in immune responses in these horses. Um, it's a real kind of more sensitive way to pick up changes, changes in immune function. Um, so yeah, we're, we're combing through all the data, a lot of numbers, but we're, we're hoping to get all that wrapped up and shared with everybody. And then I think we've got to finish up the saliva assays to see if we can pick up some of these, um, uh, changes in saliva, which is really the, the results that we've seen so far coming off have been quite exciting that really we see some of these changes in saliva, you know, mirroring or mimicking what we see um, in parallel to changes in blood, which is really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I look forward to hearing the final results of the study. Yeah, so stay tuned. <laughs> Will do. So I understand that you surveyed a lot of horse owners about the topic of transporting horses as well. I think we spread that survey on the horse.com actually. Uh, what were you seeking to find out with this study and why? Yes, thank you so much too for sharing that survey. We actually, we I'll let Erica kind of share the details again since this is part of her dissertation work, but we really just wanted to reach out and learn more about, you know, why are people transporting horses? How, you know, what are the management practices around transporting horses? And um, we asked quite a few questions around those topics just to gain a better understanding of what happens in the real world, um, you know, in terms of transporting horses. And, and when we do surveys, you know, we really are, um, you know, putting these surveys out for us not only to learn more information, but sometimes that opens up doors and, and, and new questions for us when we're, we're actually conducting research. So sometimes it guides us for our next steps and in, in, in what we do here on the research side of things. Because again, what we do, we want it to be very um, applicable to real world. And so we want to be sure we're going down, I guess, the right rabbit hole and asking the right questions for the next step. Um, so we're really excited about this. We just closed the survey and I'll let Erica maybe share a little bit of uh, highlights from the survey and how many responses we, we got back, which was great. Yes, Erica, tell us about it. Yeah, so we had the survey open for a little over a month and we got almost 1,300 responses, and we had at least one person respond from every state in the continental US, which is really wow. exciting to have that diverse of a, of a spread of participation. And um, so we asked kind of just general basic demographic information about the people taking the survey, and then in their experience in the horse industry and with horses, and then we asked them kind of what are their most common types of journeys? How long are they? Why are they transporting their horses? And then we asked them about a specific horse that was trailered in the past year for less than three hours. And it kind of just take us through the steps of their management processes before, during, and after trailering. And then finally, we had just a couple questions just asking kind of personal opinion about different, different trailering strategies. So tell me about what you are seeing in the results so far. Yeah, so these are just kind of preliminary results. We haven't 
haven't done a lot of statistical analysis on all of the data yet, because as you can imagine, from 1,300 responses, it's a lot of information. But uh, some of the big takeaways so far have been that the most common reason for people transporting their horse was for leisure, recreational trail riding. And the most common length of trip was about an hour to three hours, followed by trips of less than an hour. And then something really interesting for our purposes because of our specialty herd was that the people that selected their horse that's traveled that has traveled most often in the last year was that over a third of those horses were over the age of 15 years old. Well, I think I'm in that category. My horse is 16 and I'm typically traveling with him for an hour and a half or less. Most of our trips are maybe 20 minutes to 30 minutes. We're so lucky we have so many places to ride around Lexington. The furthest I typically take him is to the Shaker Village for trail riding, and that's about an hour and 15. But um, oh, yes, he's 16, so I guess I'm, I must have filled out that survey. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> among them. You're, you're one exactly. of our statistics. Thank you. <laughs> so um, what's, what's next with this research or your research in general on this herd? Yeah, so we so with the transportation research, you know, we've focused on the effects of of, of transportation stress on on younger horses, and then just sort of our normal healthy aged horses. But in this last study that we conducted with with Erica's work, we actually had one of our old horses who snuck into the study, I guess, who was actually PPID and insulin dysregulated, mm-hmm. and when we graphed the individual horse responses in terms of their stress responses, so just looking at cortisol responses pre and post transportation, we saw that this horse that was PPID and insulin dysregulated really stood out and was quite different in in their stress response to transport. So um, we thought, wow, this could just be an outlier. This could actually be, you know, an effect or, or, could be impacted essentially by endocrine disorders. And so sort of where we're going next with this transportation research is actually answering that question. So we wanna know, are these stress responses different in horses with endocrine diseases? So the next steps are we're gonna be transporting some of our PPID horses and then some of our insulin dysregulated metabolic syndrome horses. And we're gonna basically transport them the, the same route. So just a short trip, um, an hour and a half on the trailer and collect some of the same measurements and, and really see, um, do, the, do, you know, do they have similar changes or are they different? So I think we're going to learn not only about transportation, but maybe learn a little bit more about some of, the, some of these um, stress responses in some of these endocrine disease horses. And I think this is also going to provide some practical information for owners and veterinarians to kind of be aware that if you're transporting some of these older horses with endocrine diseases to the clinic for for instance for you know looking at endocrine status etc that you mm-hmm. might need to to wait a you know a period of time before you do some of that endocrine testing on some of those horses because it could be influenced and probably will be influenced by transportation so that's kind of where we're headed with the next steps with some of this transport research and then Erica we've also got um, a couple of other questions in terms of, of um, you know, 
um, management practices, I guess you can say, around transportation. Because the whole goal is, you know, um, we want to learn if there are different ways that we can transport our horses that maybe minimize some of the stress response during transportation. Mm -hmm. um, so, Eric, if you want to maybe chime in on any of, of, of sort of the next steps in that area, feel free. Yeah, yeah so one of the other future research projects we have in mind is to look at horses being tied versus loose. So all of our previous research has had our horses tied, but there's a lot of interesting research looking at kind of the, the behavior and preferences of horses and how they travel and even just trailer design and how people have kind of adjusted that throughout the years. Um, so that's a study that we, we have hopefully coming up soon. And then one of the other things we'd like to do is now that we kind of know the best time points of when we can see these changes, try to apply those to field studies. So to get to put them in more, I guess, real world application and take it out of the research setting and get samples collected from people that are actually transporting their horses on a more regular routine basis to go, you know, to lessons or to go to horse shows and things like that. I look forward to hearing the results of those as well. Really applicable information. Thank you. So both of you are innovators in equine research and experienced with managing your own horses. I'd really like to hear your perspectives on what these studies all mean in the end for horse owners like yourselves. Sure, yeah, so I actually, I guess I'm, I'm part of my own statistics. So I have my own little geriatric herd, I guess you can say in my backyard, I have a 34 year old quarter horse who I've had oh. for 30 years. And so we're not transporting anymore, really, um, uh, that guy. And then I also have a little um, pony, you know, that's metabolic syndrome. So we, we, I'm at the stage with these guys that we don't do a lot of transporting, but what would I, what I would like to, I guess, kind of put out there sort of as a take home message for, for the work that we've done thus far is, you know, with all the studies that we've done and showing that just in general, the immune system changes as horses age. So, and it's very similar to what happens as, as we age. And so there's a decline in immune function with age in these older horses. And so I think it's just really important to be um, aware that these changes happen. But then if you put an older horse on a trailer, you're going to see an even, um, I guess you can say, even a, a bigger impact, I guess you can say, on immune responses post-transportation. So you're already starting out with a, you know, an older horse that more than likely has some changes going on in their immune system, mm -hmm. um, you know, with age, and then you put them on a, on a tr trailer and you're going to, you know, um, see some more changes in these immune responses in these older horses. And so I guess what, what we're finding is that there's kind of this two to three hour window and, and maybe even longer after just a short term transport of these older horses where there's significant changes in, in, in and, you know, in cell mediated immune responses in some of these horses um, post transportation. So I guess it's really important to, like, to practice biosecurity, ramp up your biosecurity, or at least have that in mind when you're transporting and taking your older horse 
or, or, or even younger horse um, to the show or trail riding, et cetera. So I think biosecurity is really important and vaccination, you know, make sure your, your horse is up to date on, on vaccination. I think that's really mm -hmm. critical um, for also the aged horse uh, population, given that we know these changes occur with, with in immune function with these older horses. So I think those are kind of two important um, take-home messages probably from our work and, and in regards to the older horse. Mm -hmm. And I'll be sure in the show notes to also include some of that information about the research you were just discussing um, and about vaccination response in older horses, because I believe yeah. we do have a few stories on that as well. That'd be good. Mm -hmm. Okay, Erica, how about you? You Your background is showing and competing, so what's your perspective on this research? Uh, definitely. So, I mean, I think we all know that even just getting to taking, you know, younger horses especially, which is what I have background in training, um, to new places can already in itself be daunting, but now we kind of have the research to show that even just the trailering itself causes these, you know, stress and um, immune responses and changes that last probably a lot longer than we think they do. And just to take those into account when you are trailering your horse, even if it's just to go somewhere to go schooling, that they are having this response from you know, short, short trailer rides, because I think we generally think about, oh, you know, all of these stress and potential immune changes happening in our longer journeys, but we're, we're actually showing that it, it can happen in the shorter journeys, which, which are more common anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I know I've mentioned to you all in the past that I took my horse down to Aiken last month, and that was about an eight-hour drive, and it was it was pretty hard on both of us. Um, you know, he was a little not sure about whether he wanted to eat once he got there. And I was stressed. He was stressed. He lost some weight while we were down there. I mean, thankfully, he's gained it back and he looks great now. But um, it's sort of that in, enhanced that those many hours in the trailer enhanced that stress. And it what you guys have said has caused me to think about um, what those short trips that I have across town do to him. It's just a, a fraction of that, but still some stress. That's right. And and I think, too, just an important point to, to really monitor, keep an eye on these horses after you transport them, even if it's just a short distance, just to, to monitor their health and their behavior and their status after transporting, because changes could happen for sure. Big picture, you know, transportation isn't necessarily, we're saying, a bad thing, but just to be aware that these changes are occurring that could potentially set your horse up for you know, being maybe a little bit more at risk for physiological changes and, and the outcomes of those. So just to keep an eye on them and, and be aware and, and stay tuned for, for our, our work being published and, and shared. And, and again, part of this work, we really want to understand if there are different management practices or, or different ways we can be transporting our horses to help minimize some of the stress effects of transporting horses. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for visiting with me today and for with our listeners, and I appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise. Thank you, Stephanie, for having us. It's, again, always a pleasure to be able to talk to you and share what we're doing and, and sort of share with the rest of the world what we're doing. Um, and we love to hear feedback and stories as well. So thanks again.
So I think we're all really happy just to get be able to share some of the things that we're doing in research and in the lab that actually applies to the horse and the horse owner. I also want to thank our sponsor, Zoetis. For more from the horse, visit thehorse.com, sign up for our newsletters, or look for Ask the Horse Live wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like this podcast, please do all the things you would do to support it. Rate, subscribe, review, and share it with your friends. Please join us next time as we talk with the horse industry equine innovators.